Welcome to Healing the City podcast. Today I have a special guest, as all my guests are special, Keith Brunson. Welcome, Keith. Thank you. Keith and I have known each other since David and I first showed up at the village, which was 12 years ago. Wow. And we spent a lot of time in your home because you live at the Seneca House. That's right. Which is a two-family home. And I don't know if I'm allowed to say this on the air, but you make the best mixed drinks of anyone I know in the oh. village. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I haven't done that in a long time. but uh, No, that was several years ago. Yeah, you must mean the, uh, the, the daiquiri. Yeah, or was it a martini? Did you make martinis for a while? Uh, I think it was a okay. daiquiri thing okay. that Julie used to like. Yeah. Raspberry. Yeah, yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I stayed with you guys once and... That must have been a season of daiquiris because I got to partake. Her preteen children got her the mixings for her for Christmas. <laughs> really? Her, her birthday, I think it was. That's really funny. Yeah, that was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I've spent a lot of time at your house and with you guys. But one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about today was about your job because, as you know, we're talking about healing the city in ways that our professions and our passions impact mm-hmm. Tucson. So can you first just tell us a little bit about what you do, and then I'll ask you some questions. Okay. Uh, Well, I work, the building I work at is the Pima County Juvenile Court Center, which is down on Ajo Way and Keno Parkway. Okay. Uh Big complex there. Um, Yeah. On the second floor. I, well, that building basically has two missions. Okay. One is uh, delinquency, which is kids who break the law. And my first career was there in probation, and I retired from there in 2010 um, uh, after a career as a PO and moved right down the hall uh, to the other mission at juvenile court, which is dependencies. Okay. Those are uh, basically CPS cases, and and our clients in the program I'm in, the program is called Family Drug Court, Uh and it's a program within the dependency division at juvenile court. uh, that offers uh, a very structured program um, for parents who have lost their kids to the system and want to get them back. And these parents are addicts uh, who uh, need support and uh, help in getting into recovery and staying there and getting all the services they need. And so we're, we're sort of a, a parallel program to the dependency case. Okay. While they're going through their legal stuff and all their case plan stuff, uh, we're helping them be successful. And uh, my particular job in that program is right now intake coordinator, which I've been doing for the last uh, four years, I guess. Okay. And so I'm sort of the the conduit, the gateway for uh, these parents who want to get into the program. Okay. And so we we do a lot of recruiting. We uh, Recruiting a parent, uh-huh, uh-huh. yeah, for clientele, uh-huh. um, and uh, interviewing. I hear all their stories, and, uh-huh. and uh, that's my job is to hear that and put all the information together on their background and on, in a lot of different areas of their lives, and and um, you know what's going on in the case, and just you know their treatment provider talk to them and gather information and write a real big report on uh, on uh, all that and uh, present it to the team, and the team decides if they can join or not. Wow. So how long would an interview be, give or take? About an hour and a half to two hours. Okay. 
And you're asking pretty personal Oh, yeah. I questions. did two of them today. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So what percentage of people are then admitted to the program? Is it inpatient or is it outpatient? Well, um, you're talking about the treatment that they get. Yeah. Um, we're, we're sort of a um, – we're a program that sort of brokers all of that stuff. So, uh-huh. so we we uh, we we uh, basically offer the the support piece to what they need. Now, their case plan requires they they do a lot of things to get their kids back. DCS Department of Child Safety is is uh, requiring them to do a lot of things such as substance abuse treatment, mm-hmm. you know, uh, drug treatment. Um, and parenting classes and the visitation they do with their kids, and that's all supervised to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we just monitor all that, and we help them get, you know, sort of navigate things and get to the right place and uh, get, yeah. the, get the right stuff uh, on their regimen in their agenda. Um, but meanwhile, they're coming to court every week. That's our program. They're coming to court every week. Our judge is seeing them. And listening to their stories and, you know, they go up to the table and tell the judge how they're doing. We find them either non-compliant or compliant every week based on how they're doing with our rules. Uh-huh. Uh, in, in a way, you can look at it as a as an artificial program uh, because they don't have to do our program. It's voluntary. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're volunteering to be put under this structure with right. all these rules and all this sort of supervision. Almost like being on probation, but it's not because we don't send them to jail if they're non-compliant. We just make them write an essay or something, you know. Right, right. Uh, but it's a way for them to be on top of their game so every day, every day, every week. Back. Yeah, uh-huh. uh, yeah. And that, I'd say probably of all the aspects of our program, the thing that uh, defines us most is the fact that we have on-staff addicts called recovery support staff. Great. Um, who uh, you know, have history with addictions and, and a lot of sobriety time. And uh, so they, they've sort of been there, done that. So Yeah, they have a lot of empathy. And and, and knowledge. And, mm-hmm. and, yeah, you can't get past them either. <laughs> oh, that's true. Sure, they they know all the tricks in the book because mm-hmm. they pull them. That's sure. right. That's right. So how much interaction do you have with clients after you do that initial interview? Are you able to follow them along the journey? I, I don't personally do a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll go to their graduations, you know, months later. Um, okay. I'll slip into court every now and then. I don't have to go to the court sessions every week, mm-hmm. uh, but I do sometimes. Um, I'll go, I'll cover for, for other staff who sort of pick up the ball after I'm done with them. Uh-huh. Uh, I'll cover, cover for them at things like child and family team meetings and court hearings and things like that. Yeah. Uh, but I don't see them much. Uh, I like going to the graduation though, because I'll go back and take that report that I wrote eight months, 10 months, 12 months before, uh-huh. and I'll read at my impressions at the very end where I give my opinion about, about them and, and what I think their, you know, prognosis is, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I'll read, read it out there to the crowd that's there for the graduation and, uh, then say, you did it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Why do you why do you read that? I'm guessing that's something special that you do that maybe not everyone would do, or is it part of your position? Is that you would read that prognosis? I I do just well at graduations. Um, anybody that wants to stand up and say something about the person that's graduating can mm-hmm. do that, right? And and so uh, that's that's the way I do it. 
Yeah. No it's really. probably a powerful way to send people off, right, mm-hmm. on a positive. It reminds them where they were. Uh-huh. And, and it, you know, oh, yeah, I was sitting in front of him in that office, and mm-hmm. I said these things, and, you know, um, try to make the point, look how far you've come, you know, and, mm-hmm. and want them to see that. Yeah. Hmm, that's really cool. So you've been working in the juvenile justice system for how many years? Uh, 22 years. Okay. Yeah. And mm-hmm. what led you to that line of work? Well, let's see. A lot of it was just practical, pragmatic kind of stuff. But um, I got out of the Air, out of the Air Force in 1995. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went and volunteered at the juvenile court with probation for a few months and uh, was taking some college classes. I was thinking, because I had a master's degree in counseling with zero uh, experience. Right. Because I did that while I was in the military, you know. Okay. Just to, uh-huh. you know, and and uh, thought, well, I want to do something like that, something, maybe be a counselor. So I was going to go and take some classes and get my certification. And, you know, um, eh, it was going to take too long. And I, I was volunteering at, the pr- at probation. And... Um, uh, Applied for a job once they started hiring for, uh-huh. for a round of probation officers. I didn't make it. <laughs> I didn't get picked. So huh. um, so I ended up having to get a job. I had to get a job somewhere. So I got a social worker job down on the south side um, at Traveler's Aid Society of Tucson, which doesn't exist now. I think okay. Primavera uh, gobbled it up. But um, and so I did that for two years and sort of learned the ropes of what social work is all about and, mm-hmm. um, and learned the uh, sort of the lay of the land in Tucson uh, and and then went and reapplied two years later in 97 and and uh, got the job as a probation officer that time. So um, from then until 2010, I did probation okay and moved up to lead moved up to supervisor ended up um a supervisor when i retired um and the reason i was able to do a 20-year retirement is because you can buy your military time back with a service purchase they call it okay and it and it would count towards your um your time in in grade so okay uh, i got a 20-year retirement out of that and started over as a social worker in 2010 yeah. So as a probation officer, can you share some of maybe a story or two of what that was like and any, I don't know, good interactions or positive experiences that you had or negative? You know, uh, yeah, probation officers come from all different walks of life. And, and so you get them from all directions and all philosophies and, you know, some are cops. Mm-hmm. Some were military, like I was. Um, some are social worker backgrounds, teachers, uh, counselors, and and so you know there are a lot of hard nosed kind of kind of people in in that business. And then there are those who are really easy. Mm-hmm. Like I was more on the easy yeah. side. Sure. Um, but but I, I like to um, I like to treat the kids, you know respectfully and and I didn't like arresting kids and you know I enjoyed working with families and and you know uh got to be where so I was sort of a you know sort I, I think I, I was looked on more of as a dad figure um because that's sort of how I treat I treat them like I treat my kids 
Sure. You know, a lot. And you know, some of the kids, it's hard to do that because they're so bad. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Not bad, really, but just, you know. They're, they're, yeah, they're struggling. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, hmm. There's this one young lady uh, who, you know, I don't remember what she did to get in trouble, but it was it had to do with drugs out there. Yeah, I remember that because pretty young lady, you know, she was in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I think her dad had died. I think that, yeah, I think that's what happened. She had been using pretty heavy drugs and it just killed me mm-hmm. um, when she came in and, and I had her on probation and reading her story and everything. And, and I got to know her a little bit and you know, I, the way I interacted with her, I guess it probably, I, I'm sort of going off on tangents here, but, um, it made me think, uh, about sort of how I approached the whole idea, the whole job, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I approached things not afraid to, to, to feel the things that, that we usually are told you need to protect yourself from, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I guess that's a boundary issue maybe, but, but I, I just, I was willing I was willing to feel things that uh, and give of myself to a certain degree that a lot of people wouldn't want to do. Uh, so, like with this girl, you know, I I maybe said things that that social workers aren't supposed to say or probation officers aren't supposed to say, like, um, like you, you like you're better than this, or you 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 know you have so much to give. Look at all these. Mm-hmm. good things in your life and you know and I, I guess I, I went a little deeper with her because it just hurt me so much to to see what she was doing to herself and how smart she was and you know all this stuff and mm-hmm. and so um I didn't know if I even got through to her at all um but then like five years later she was in college and sent me a note Oh really? Yeah, and she was the only one, and and I by then I didn't even remember exactly what I told her or sure. said to her, but I, I I think it was it was more personal mm-hmm. than than you normally would do. Then I I usually didn't mm-hmm. d- do that, but just something about her, something about this this girl. I thought you know she she needs something. Yeah, she, she needs a push in, in a direction, and and I don't know maybe this will do it, but. She she uh, sent me a note saying thanks so much what you what you said to me and how you were with me and, and probation really helped and uh, that's actually the only time that ever happened. Wow! Yeah, it's the only time I ever got a note like that from a, an ex probationer. Uh huh. <laughs> well, that's really probably inspiring for you to know that you had an impact on a someone that was grieving so deeply. Yeah, you know that she yeah. had turned to you know substances to cope yep, yep. and. So it's powerful that she was, yeah, able to come out on the other side. Um, how do you see Jesus and the gospel interacting with what you do? Either in this position or, you know, in the previous position. Mm-hmm. Ah, well, yeah. Um, I'm sitting there in the office. The door's closed. Every person that's ever come in through that door to sit down and be interviewed has a horrendous story. 
mm-hmm. in history. I mean, practically 100% have se- severe trauma in their history, you know, almost. Maybe not 100%, but pretty close. And so it makes perfect sense that they are the way they are, and they've made the decisions and had the things happen to them that have happened to them. Um, so I see, I see it as very important in my role as the intake coordinator. It's really important that that I look at them really through a Jesus lens. Mm. Um, I don't react in horror when they tell me their story, mm-hmm. uh, or they they you know, say shocking things that they've done. Um, I don't judge them in my count, you know, my, my facial expressions or, you know, I don't, I don't react, you know, I, I've tried to treat them respectfully and, and, and hold them up as Jesus would if he were talking to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that's one thing. Uh, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah. Do you, do you know if any of your coworkers are Christians and are also offering that? Yeah, several mm-hmm. are. Yeah, a lot of the rec- recovery support specialists are. Yeah, yeah, because it turns out uh, Jesus is uh, one of the best ways to become clean and sober. <laughs> yeah, you know, and and you know places like, um, um, oh, what's the Victory Out- Outreach? There's one. Uh huh. Um, couple other recovery based kind of Christian uh, you know, churches or groups mm-hmm. in town and, and that's where they find a lot of uh, support and uh, do you think it's learning to live for a bigger purpose and and, and having purpose is that the driving yeah. force behind turning away from addiction yeah something bigger than yourself I and mean, that's that's one of the main aspects of uh, all the 12 step Mm-hmm. Uh, programs that are out there um, is you know a higher power you know it can be anything you want to it can be that pencil mm-hmm. but you know most people um, claim God and, and 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 Christians claim Jesus as as their higher power and um, that that's pretty prevalent I think mm-hmm. in, in the uh, recovery world and and it works yeah for a lot of people when you're interviewing. A person, are you sharing any in anything, or or are you just asking questions and taking in information? Um, you know, I was thinking about that today. Actually, um, um, I'm not really a social worker. If you look at my history, if you look at my education and and all I've done, I, I never was actually trained to be a social worker, uh, and so I don't have this preconceived. Um, set of rules in my head like uh you know keep your boundaries and <laughs> don't tell anything about your oh sure <laughs> so sure. i you know i i sort of i probably go a little f- further than i ought to if, if you went by the the rules you know of, of what social workers are supposed to do if you go back to school and, and look at all the uh, uh, what the professors tell you, you sure know? sure um, um but uh I uh, I tend to throw in my own life to some degree. Uh, I, tr- I I talk to people like we're buddies, you know. Uh, uh-huh. um, sometimes. Because you're on their side. Yeah, 
Well, yeah, yeah you that's want, a, you, you like want them to be a them, part of the pro- want program. Them, right? Want them to be in the program. I want them to be successful. I want them to get their kids back. Uh-huh. Uh, and and they see me as an ally. They mm-hmm. really do. And, mm-hmm. and I, I make that happen pretty quick. Yeah. Um, when they when they they've been there for a while and they they realize okay this guy's not going to judge me uh-huh. and he's a nice guy and he's not going to you know talk down to me or anything and. And I try to speak their language to a degree. I mean, some of that I can't do because I can't affect that, you know, rapper kind of stuff or whatever. Sure, you know? sure. Um, but um, I, I talk to them straight across. I don't talk down to them. Mm-hmm. And um, and if there's something, you know, like this little girl today was is Anna's age, my daughter's age, mm-hmm. and and. Um, I told her that, you know, wow, you reminded me a little bit of my, my daughter. And, you know, if there's a similarity somewhere, I, I might bring it up. And, you mm-hmm. know, it's just without, you know, there, I mean, you can't go too far with that, I'm sure. Sure. But, um, but uh, well, that's really powerful, I think, when, when people feel like you're on their side, especially in the system where it can feel like now you've been judged and you feel yeah. shame and and all of this. And so to have someone that, is on your side and wants you to be successful. Is yeah, at some level, even though they have secrets and they sure they're still they, guarded. They they are guarded to some degree, or sometimes a lot. But um, but I think they want to be known mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. And when I do all that stuff, uh, I think it uh, it helps them feel like okay, this is somebody who can know me. And, and sometimes these people tell me things they've never told anybody. Wow. That's happened a few times. Yeah, uh, about traumas in their past. Yeah, I never told anybody that. Wow, you know, maybe would you be interested in some trauma focused therapy? You know, and yeah, uh, well, yeah, you know that that's really a lot of what I'm trying to get them to do is get the services they really need to go underneath. Because I say this all the time: um, your problem isn't domestic violence. Your problem isn't cocaine. Mm-hmm. Your your problem is below that. Mm-hmm. It, it's something that that those are all symptoms. Right and and they say, yeah, you're right. And and uh, have you ever dealt with that stuff? No, we'll talk about that some. And and usually they're they leave they're willing to to get the services that they want because a lot of people don't know it's out there, and a lot of people, right. if they do, don't don't want to go there because it's going to be hard. Right. Um. But the thing is, we hold our feet to the fire, and we we you know we urge them to do the things that we know that they need to be successful long-term. Right. Because we want, we want people not only to graduate from our program, that's all artificial. Um, what we really want is people to graduate and get this case closed and never come back and be good parents, you know, the rest of their kids' childhood. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Well, thank you um, so much for joining me today. Do you have... Any other things that you would want to add or one of the questions sometimes I ask, is there a book that you would recommend listeners get a hold of? Mm, I don't know about a book. I try not to read <laughs> anything but history books. So um, everything else is depressing. Actually, actually history is pretty depressing. Yeah, too, I was if like, you think what about history it. are you reading? <laughs> That's um, funny. Uh what else? Huh. No, I guess that's not. I don't that's think about so. It. Yeah, yeah. I want to get you on here, maybe, or 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 the the crew at some point to talk about 
you know, communal living at some point. Mm. (laughs) That would be a good one for all four of us, huh? Yeah. Wouldn't that be a fun one to talk about, Mm. you know, stories and Mm. and things that... Like the time uh, Eric tackled me. Yeah. Yeah, I think I heard about that that story. He bloodied my knee. Uh Uh-oh. Actually, the tile did, but... (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, living with people, you know, it has its moments, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, thanks again for joining me today. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Okay. We'll see you. So you've been listening to Healing the City podcast with Adrian Crawford. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and Spotify and follow us on Facebook and Instagram.